her. That's Romy. She's the mother, and she's a lesbian. She's a lesbian, and she's a mother. She's a lesbian mother. That's her. Slightly unbalanced, we are still queer as folk. UK. I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Before we get started on tonight's episode, I wanted to read you an email from a listener, Matt. Katie writes to us, Stuart, and thus Brian, having a Jeep is a bit of a deep cut. There used to be this long-running BBC teen soap called Biker Grove. One storyline had a coming-out romance between two boys, which ended with them driving off into the sunset together in a Jeep. Russell T. Davies cites that scene as a massive moment for him and why he romanticizes the car so much. We finally get to the heart of it, and I'm so thankful (laughs) that we had a listener finally say, like, okay, I have the answer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) After years of us talking about this Jeep, we finally know. Katie also sent me a link to uh, an interview with Russell T. Davies, so here it is in his own words. Quote, One of the few fan letters I've ever written was to the man who's producing Biker Grove because in the second year they did that story. Nadi got a boyfriend and they had to write them out because they had nowhere else to go, but they drove off together in a black Jeep. It was so fantastic to watch that on children's television at 10 past five in the afternoon and you were sitting watching it thinking, they have sex. These two boys have sex. They're not showing it, but they absolutely have sex. That's fact. And the black Jeep becomes one of my favorite symbols of gayness, end quote. Okay, that's now going to be in my head from now on. Anytime I see a Jeep, I don't care who's driving it, I will know that two men clearly have fucked in it. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So there it is. The reason for all these Jeeps in uh, both Queers Folk universes. It's kind of funny that the U.S. writers eventually replaced Brian's Jeep with the all-American middle-aged crisis car, the Corvette. I roll. I think the Jeep is so much more interesting now. Oh, totally. <laughs> we've, see, we've seen the Corvette. We see it like, I mean, hell, there's even uh, uh, an episode of the Golden Girls where Stan like reveals that he'd bought a Corvette when he was going through his midlife crisis. Like, I don't know why that's like the thing for men to buy when they're on a midlife crisis. I mean, you, you're I think you're a little closer to the midlife crisis age than I am. Uh, gee, thanks, Matt. I'm just speaking facts. You are, in fact, older than me. And at that age that people call midlife crisis. But you went ahead and bought, what, a Tesla? Hey, now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing my part for for the environment, right? Which the environment thanks you. Yes. Katie, thanks for writing in. It was great to hear from you. If anyone else has a question or a comment, you can hit us up at stillqueersfolk.com slash hello. Today, we're talking about episode three of Channel 4's Queers Folk, and it's called A Night Out. First aired in the UK on March 9th, 1999, and it was written by show creator, the legendary Russell T. Davies. A Night Out was directed by Charles McDougall. Uh, He directed the first four episodes of the show, and as we mentioned last week, he went on to direct such notable shows as Sex and the City, Desperate Housewives, Big Love, The Tudors, The Office, and House of Cards, which I randomly decided that I wanted to finish (laughs) this week. Where did you leave off on it when you stopped watching it? uh, It was season five. It was like halfway through season five. Was that the Kevin Spacey moment? Oh, yeah. So that's why you stopped watching it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was also just like not holding my attention nearly as much as I think the first couple of seasons were. I thought the first couple of seasons were freaking fantastic. And I was like living for it. I don't think I got beyond the first season. Yeah, to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot. Like, as soon as I started it, I watched it. I was like, what was going on? Because then it felt like very, 
too much like real life. I mean, they were talking about voter suppression and, uh, you know, foreign influence with the election and stuff like that. I was like, okay, this is. Yeah, let's watch that one. It's a little more in the rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, and then, of course, season six starts with the fact that Francis is dead. So no Kevin Spacey. Here's the synopsis of A Night Out. Nathan continues his quest for Stuart and trails him to a series of bars on Canal Street, only to find out that Stuart has orchestrated a threesome with the hottest two guys in Babylon. The two most random guys in Babylon. Uh, <laughs> Alex- <laughs> Alexander arrives in town with a Japanese guy who, unbeknownst to Alexander, is a hooker and would like to be paid for his services in the Mile High Club. Uh, and Phil meets the wrong guy on the streets of Babylon and winds up dead on the floor of his kitchen. Spoiler alert. Yeah, we're assuming that you've watched this episode, listeners. So <laughs> no surprises also, here, right? <laughs> also, the, this, this particular show is well over 20 years old. So <laughs> yeah, spoiler alerts have expired. Yes. So this episode, uh, I was able to break out into A, B, and C stories for once. Mm -hmm. uh, so the A story I gave to you, Nathan Stewart, and just a tiny bit of Vince here. Vince didn't have such a great big role in this episode. It was meaningful, but it wasn't huge. Uh, something I noticed about Nathan's story is that for almost the entire episode that he was pursuing Stewart around Canal Street, he never talked to him. They had no lines together. Mm -hmm. And that no. was a great way to show kind of the futility of Nathan's quest that night. I thought that was really clever. Also, I really leaned into what I think Vince described it as a stalking. I was like, yeah, this is a little stalkery, especially there's this like long shot when they're in Babylon where it stays on Nathan's face when he's watching Stuart with the two guys. And he's just sort of like smiling. And I was like, that's a little mm, red flag is going up. Like, what is this obsession now? It's no, I don't know. I didn't take Nathan's behavior as stalking so much as I want to run into this guy again and I'm going to steal his taxi cab account to do it. Stuart's got this taxi account. He said, use it. I've been all around. I went to that pen shop in Heaton Moor. It's all on him. God, he must really love you. I did like that. I thought that was actually... <laughs> <laughs> a lot Great of memory on Nathan's part, right? He only heard that number right? once. <laughs> and he's like, wait a minute, I'll never have to pay for this ta for taxi cabs? Okay. Yeah, you're, he Same. memorized like a six-digit number. <laughs> it's like, go, Nathan. There you go. <laughs> so he uh, he and Donna run into Romy on the street. And this was, a, this was an interesting scene. Uh, I was expecting Nathan to catch up with Romy, but he had this moment of revelation that he wasn't really a part of Stuart's life. I looked a complete mong. Laughed in the face. My boyfriend dumped me. I didn't sit around moping. I went straight out looking for the next one. What boyfriend? He was in infant school. <laughs> you said Canal Street. It'll be chock-a-block. You're that nice looking, you'll find a bloke no time. <laughs> Nathan's a little more, what's the word I'm looking for? He's more intuitive of mm. what his place is. That he's got an uphill battle. Yeah. And like he acknowledges that, he recognizes that. So he knows that it's not going to be like the first time. Uh, when when he went to Stu when he went to Stewart's uh, apartment and uh, saw 
uh, good fuck there. Yeah, Colin. He realized. <laughs> yeah, he realized that like, oh, I have to like fight to win this. But also that scene had a what I thought was a really funny moment when he when Nathan gets out of the cab and <laughs> he describes Romy as the mom who's a lesbian, a mom who was a lesbian, the lesbian mom. It's her. That's Romy. She's the mother, and she's a lesbian. She's a lesbian, and she's a mother. She's a lesbian mother. That's her. <laughs> <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought it was really funny. And it's just it's one example, and I have others as we go through the other stories, where I think this series is actually a whole lot funnier and doesn't take itself quite so seriously as I believe the U.S. version did, especially in the later seasons. Like, this this is like, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's really just much more slice of life. Uh, I think more natural and is really it doesn't have to try so hard to find humor in the stories that it puts the characters in. So Nathan uh, arrives at Canal Street with Donna. Clearly his disappointment at not being involved with Stuart only lasted like 45 seconds, though, because then they're like, let's get to Canal Street. (laughs) (laughs) And it was uh, it was hilarious when Nathan was briefing Donna on how to act. If this bloke's kissing Mike, don't stare. And if there's men that look like women, don't stare at them either. And if you see Stuart right, don't even look at him. That's if he's there. I mean, he won't be there, probably. Just don't look. I do remember sort of like the same thing, like maybe the first couple of times that I would go to a gay bar. And I, I do remember like one of my friends like giving me a briefing <laughs> before going in. <laughs> like, here's what's going to be going on here, just so you're prepared. Yeah, I, well, I feel like I've gotten that when I go to bars that are not as mainstream. Like, I think the first time I went to Jackhammer, which is a sort of kinky bar in my neighborhood, and how it was going to differ from, say, Sidetrack on North Halstead, uh, which is a pants, you know, uh, pants check or no pants check, right? Well, I didn't go to the hole, so... <laughs> Uh, listeners, so you know that there, there's this bar where you can go in and instead of checking your coat, you can check your pants. Which, for the whole, you have to. Oh, like that's sort of mandatory I mean, pants un- check. Unless you go on like a, <laughs> unless you go on a really slow night, the expectation is, is when you go to the hole is that clothing will be checked and you must wear some sort of gear or I think jock. And oh, you have to check all the, your clothing, not just your pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when I like the first time I went down, like the first time I went down there, the bartender was straight up not. Well, he was naked. His dick (laughs) was fully out, and there was pouring drinks. Oh yeah, and there was some lady at the bar who was like slapping his dick for fun. It was very strange. Doesn't that get into like the ice bin? I no one was complaining. So, (laughs) (laughs) geez, Matt, I didn't know you're into such things. I've only been down there like twice in my life. Because there was a period where we thought the bar was going to close for good. And I was like, I'm going to go there once to say I did it. You could just about walk there, can't you? That's your local? Yeah. <laughs> I could. I could now, actually. There we go. Uh, but who knows? Maybe one day when it... Uh, nah. <laughs> it's such a late, late bar, and I, I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> Donna had a really good line with Nathan. You said don't look. It's not that nice anyway. Taller. I could do much better. I like that she's calling out Stuart there. That's <laughs> like, yes. you're a good friend. Yes. I love that she was spilling all of the facts about Stuart. <laughs> she's like, he's not that great. I'm yeah. Like, Thank you. What are you seeing this guy? She said it. 
<laughs> yeah, she was being she was being a great wing woman for him. I love that. Nathan uh, didn't waste any time uh, finding Hazel, Vince's mother, in the bar. I, I I like that. I like seeing Hazel, and I like uh, that Nathan and Donna sit down uh, with Hazel, and then are immediately noticed by Vince. Something we try to do on the our UK podcast is to limit the amount of comparisons that we do to the US show. But I was really struck by something in this scene. When Vince sees Nathan with his mother, he's not exactly angry. He's more eye roll than anything else. It's like, there she goes again. Mm-hmm. But in the US show, Justin and Debbie provoked outright hostility and anger on Michael's part. So I think the UK story wins here. We were never all that thrilled with Michael's constant snarling about Justin, especially. And I was just so happy to see kind of a far superior take in this original show. Yeah, I all of that, yes. Uh, and something else I noticed was I, I really paid attention that I feel like Hazel is much closer in age to Vince than Debbie was to Michael. Mm. Like, we know that Debbie is his mother. Uh, we know that Debbie is Michael's mother. Like it's very, very clear. Here, I feel like Hazel is portrayed much younger, and I think it actually plays out um, a clearer dynamic in what that what that mother son relationship was, and why he's able to be more accepting of his mom being out in the bar with his friends, hanging out with. Like it makes sense that they had to grow up together in a way. And I really, really like that. Yeah, I think it's a much better way to tell the story of a mother-son gay relationship. And I think that actually helps why there's not nearly as much hostility being portrayed as it does in the U.S. version. Along the same lines, uh, Stuart was sticking up for Nathan a little bit here. It's that Nathan. He's talking to my bloody mother. What's he doing? Nothing to do with me. This always happens. I always get the shit. You shag him and he ends up stalking me. Jesus, leave him alone, will you? He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. I beg your pardon. He's what? Zip it up, will you? At least until the hunky runway model uh, vanished, the, that hot guy. But I don't mm. know is that we ever saw that in the U.S. version. I think right from the off, Brian was, make this kid stop following me around. Whereas here, it's mm-hmm. it, it's a little more cat and mouse-ish. And it's just, everything's just less adversarial. It's more, it's more fun. Yeah. There's more, yeah. there's more game. There's more chase to it. And I, and I'm, jo- I'm enjoying it. And I think, I, I don't know if it also helps that the series is also half hour episodes. So like, I don't know. I, I yeah. Think there's maybe less that, fluff maybe, to it. <laughs> yes. I think that maybe that's what it is. Everything cuts to the chase. There's always stakes that in play, uh, for our characters, uh, and and they they keep things light and fun too. Yeah, and I so, see a very yeah. sharp cut to the chase, and I think that's really where Russell T Davies is really showing his his skill with the pen is to d- just not crowd these stories with all sorts of emotions mm-hmm. and seeing what sticks. He's able to very clearly say, "Here's what I want to show in this scene," and he very succinctly and sharply gets to it. Yeah. So Vince bumps into Rosalie, his coworker or employee. I think uh, as she is. Oh my God, Vince, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah. I'm here with Lucy. She's getting married next week. She said, come down and have a look. What's it like, this place? Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, looking. It's the first time that I've ever... It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? All oh, them pretty boys. 
You watch yourself, they'll try and turn you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sick of it, really. I've seen enough. This is another <laughs> reminder that Vince is still in the closet at work. I, I kind of keep forgetting that. 21 years later, after this was shot, this story strikes me as so odd because just about everyone comes out at a much younger age now and being closeted at work just seems like really less prevalent now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I think that's something about the U S and the UK version were sort of uh, reconciling with, at least when they were airing is that this was a little more illicit. Maybe that's, I don't know. Like it, it felt like it was more like, Oh, that's, it's still kind of a secret that you have to hold on to. Friend of Dorothy. Now it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is he, you know, Speaking of, uh, I was really surprised in the last episode of The Crown that <laughs> Peter Morgan wrote The Queen constantly saying friend of Dorothy about, I can't remember what character. I was like, what? <laughs> the Queen would never say that. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Well, that's the second reason he was never the right man for you. The first being, well, you know, friend of Dorothy. Dazzle. Famously, yes. Friend of Dorothy? <laughs> <laughs> they just oh we can't we can't even start to talk about the crown i hate the crown by the way i, I would like the crown better if at the top of every episode it said this is a work of fiction this didn't happen we made it up thank you uh, i let you have the floor with that one I, I knew you i could feel that sitting on your chest and you needed to let it out yeah, I messaged you something about that earlier this week. You didn't even reply. You're just like, I'm just gonna stand back from this one. <laughs> let you, let you <laughs> I'm have just it. gonna let you have it. <laughs> so Stuart uh, telling Rosalie that Vince is into her, it seemed a little more mischievous than anything else. It didn't seem to me that there was any massive subtext to this. Like I'm secretly in love with Vince, therefore I'm going to sabotage him. Yeah. There's like a cheeky funness to it. It doesn't feel like it's going to, I mean, who knows what we'll, we'll see in the later episodes. Like it's going to be this like, yeah, oh, it does, blowout. But... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it does but like, it in yeah, a yeah. smart way. Like, yeah. It's like, it feels like it's kind of like cheeky fun. I'm just going to tease him a little bit and like continue to let it go on. You know? Yeah. It's just a friend being a little bitch. <laughs> I think that's how I described it. I think, like, as it happened and watching, like, Stuart sort of, like, dance his way back towards the group, I was like, Stuart, you bitch, you should not have done that. That's so rude. Yeah. But I laughed about it. <laughs> uh, so that bar closes and everybody heads to Babylon. First of all, uh, Stuart is a terrible dancer. Awful. I mean, granted, this is uh, television, so when you're shooting a scene, there's generally no music for the actors to actually dance to, but... Wow, that was a terrible dance. It's like, have you seen those videos of 45 like dancing at his rallies to YMCA? <laughs> Not far off. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, we need to like we need to talk about Babylon just as a whole. First of all, it's like a membership place. Uh, yeah, uh, after hours clubs uh, typically could. At least at the time, uh, you needed to have a membership so that you could actually stay open. Oh, uh, I think interesting. That, I think that went away, at least in London, in the early 2000s. In a lot of cases, drinks stopped being served at 10, 11, 12-ish. And if you wanted to go someplace else, you had to have a membership, much like the bathhouses in Chicago require right. a membership. <laughs> oh, that's what it was around. Like I was like, oh, do, is it doesn't it need to be membership because does this Babylon have like the back room, and that's why it has to be membership? Which 
okay, that kind of explains it. But then also they know that that's not, <laughs> he's not, that Nathan is using someone else's Yeah, membership. Bernard Thompson, 54 years old or whatever he was. What's your name? Bernard Thomas. Date of birth, 1946. Looking good, Bernard. Eight quid. Yeah, he was born in 1946. <laughs> yeah. And they just said, you look good for your age and just let him in. And then I guess they didn't say anything to Donna. I mean, did she have to buy a membership? I mean, did, she just did, knew they did, quit and they go, oh. right? I was like, does they have a guest pass? Like, I, I have, I will say this membership <laughs> has some very loose policies. Uh, I, fine. That's fine. Well, I like this Babylon uh, because it wasn't. It just seemed real. It seemed like not over the top. It seemed exactly like the type of place that we would be going at midnight. Absolutely. I don't know about doing those fat lines off the toilet that Stuart and Vince were doing, but (laughs) other than that. uh, I hardly like using the using the bathroom to use the bathroom at a bar or club. (laughs) Let alone alone snorting something off of it. (laughs) No, thanks. Yeah, you'd think that uh, club goers like that would have a a better dispensary mechanism than yes. like using the back of the toilet. <laughs> uh, but, also, but okay, so I I had to talk about uh, when they walked into the bar and uh, there was a, or maybe it was the bar previously before they went to Babylon where they had that drag queen and they were like lip singing to I am what I am. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so for all my I'm, listeners, I'm about to go off on the musical theater reference. So first of all, it was a dance club remix of I Am What I Am, which is the climactic uh, act one finale from La Cage Folle, 1984 Best Musical Winner by Jerry Herman. That's based off of the French film La Cage Folle, which also was adapted into the mid-90s comedy The Birdcage with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Um, and I just love the fact that I think you could go to any gay bar in any city in any country you will hear some version of I am what I am (laughs) as a dance remix. It just, that's the way things are. It's a soundtrack of our life. Yes. And I just, I enjoyed that that was there. So Stuart arranges a threesome uh, with uh, the aforementioned runway model and a a new fella. This is, I think the first time that we get a good glimpse at Stuart's magical powers of attraction, but it was played off in a really subtle way. He's he's basically just assertive and confident, not like some kind of magical super gay the way that a certain other character was played. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like all he did was he like he strutted over to the first guy and managed to just charm him and then got the other guy to come over and then like they knew they were being worked but it was fun and it was yeah, yeah, that's sort of bravado. That's not cockiness, but confidence. And like, oh, it's so attractive when someone can just be assertive, but not aggressive. It oh, and charming and have a wolf. nice smile. And yeah. absolutely. <laughs> what does he say to him? If we knew that, if we knew the magic words, but he says them for all of us. So post-Babylon, uh, poor Nathan, he thinks that he's had the best of all that Manchester has to offer. And then Donna cracks it up with a line of consolation. He cops off with anyone, that Stuart. He'll be riddled. You're better off without. You saw him. He's the best. I've had the best. Come on, let's go home. Nah, let's get chips. 
I'm like, I love this girl. I want to hang out with Donna. Hey, absolutely. After a night of like maybe being disappointed for going out in the clubs and not quite getting what you wanted. Uh, hell yeah. Let's get some late night chips, maybe a pint. And then like, let's go home. Mm-hmm. Very into that. Well, Vince brings a guy home with him. I thought it was clever to not show where this guy came from, though. Just all of a sudden, Vince is walking into his flat with some dude. Yeah, everyone, everyone like kind of landed somewhere with someone. I was into that. Like we get to watch like where all these hookups are going to go. Yeah. And the good story part is that we don't need to see the entire seduction. All we need to know is that they just grabbed each other and left. Right. We don't need to see it in order to believe it. Again, it's Russell T. Davies is really bringing some good penmanship here. I really, really like that approach. Uh, this guy seemed perfect for Vince, and he calls Stuart to let him know about this guy, and Vince's session is ruined uh, by the television director having butt parasites. I better warn you, if you ever go to Brazil, if you find yourself in Brazil and you're on the beach, sit on a towel, right? Because they've got these things, they've, they've got these parasites that live in the sand and they burrow. They burrow up through the sand and they sort of burrow themselves into you. I mean, you can kill them with this ointment, but it takes a while. So? So I've got Brazilian beach parasites living in my ass. <sighs> Shall I get a taxi? Uh... <laughs> Cute moment uh, after he discloses and just kind of says matter-of-factly, shall I get a taxi? Yeah, I, I I know this is like super gross. Want me to leave? <laughs> or are you down with it? Well, well, okay, and here's the thing. They didn't need to do butt stuff. Ah, good point. It's true. So, like, it, first of all, props to, like, understanding how to handle what is no doubt an embarrassing situation. And I think there could have been some compromise on Vince's part. But also, I love the fact that the guy was aware enough saying that, like, if I I'm going to disclose this because I'm a decent person and I will be more than understanding if that sort of kills the mood. Love that. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) So I guess the guy leaves. (laughs) Well, yeah, he does, obviously. But like, like, yes, you should get a taxi. (laughs) But also, like, there are so many other things they could have done besides butt stuff. Uh so like I, I would have been cool to kind of like see Vince be open to saying like, well, uh, if we know that that's off the menu, let's see what other appetizers we can come up with. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So Stuart's in the midst of filming his threesome and I, I had forgotten how answering machines were live. Like you could <laughs> turn up the volume and listen to them and maybe even pick up the, the call if you wanted to. You're not going to believe what it's told me. I've had some stories, but this one, bastard. Oh, and he was nice. He was really nice. Like the bloke I've been waiting for. He was lovely. Mm. All of him was lovely. The entire colony. Anyway, I bet you're having a good time. Give us a call. Lots of love. Uh, But this was a great narration device for uh, Vince to be talking over Stuart's threesome. I just love that. I I like the the way that Vince's homey answering machine messages playing over this kernel act of threesomeness. I thought that was really good. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Alexander. Yes. Look, this is my suit. 
Hundred quid bargain. Miss Court's wardrobe by Camisole. <laughs> Vince. Mm, you look dreadful. Perfect boyfriend shags like a rabbit, can't understand a word I'm saying. It's fab, isn't it? It's a love job. We met in the club. What club? Mile high. Uh, we first meet Alexander in the airport. He's coming off of his flight with his friend Dane and a, well, we don't know it at the time, but a young man named Lee Kane. And they met in the Mile High Club on the flight. So we know that somebody banged somebody. Who do you think banged who? Oh, Lee banged Alexander. There's no way Alexander's the top. Oh, you think so? <laughs> 100%. Well, I also love how that was introduced. <laughs> when he said, like, I met him at the club. What club? A mile high. And I was like, yes! Work, <laughs> Alexander! You go, girl. <laughs> Loved it. I thought it was hilarious that they're all gathered at Stuart's Loft watching Princess Diana's funeral. Was that just like a thing? It was. I, I, I took a I, note I, that uh, I actually did that a few times in 1999 with other gays. And we did it on VHS also. We, we obviously weren't doing the same narration that they were doing, but we watched right. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, that's that's good. Show. Like, I think in the back of my mind, it made sense that yeah, of course, someone would have a VHS of of someone who was such an integral part of British culture. Yeah, they would have that recorded. <laughs> so there's something uh, about Stuart that I found interesting here was that even though he wasn't thrilled about them coming over at first, he ends up being kind of an amused host. It's as if they all just assembled at his flat just for his enjoyment. After that first moment, he wasn't like so opposed to his friends being over and spending time with them. He he seemed to be amused by the whole thing. I, I liked seeing that in Stuart. The, again, this is something that I just kind of love about Stuart as a whole in this series is that he's not overtly vicious about anything. Yeah, exactly. He takes so he takes so he takes so much so many things in stride. He goes along with things so much more. Like he maintains a humor about things, uh, and I really appreciate that. It's not so much of a turnoff. So let's talk about Alexander and Dane's threesome. Apparently, they don't want anything to do with each other, but they want to have a, a threesome. And at first, I thought this was weird. It's like, okay, you're going to a threesome, but you you're not into each other, so. Uh, is this really a threesome? Why would they be having a threesome if they weren't going to like have a threesome? Like, were they just jealous of Stuart having a threesome and they thought, well, like, let's us have one? Or I, I don't think so. Right. I, I think like, they, uh, they, well, they just wanted well, some action. <laughs> I guess so. And I guess they figured like they might as well just do like a two for one. I, I, I didn't understand it because it was very, uh, yeah, they just wanted to have <laughs> have sex with someone, something. Cope. We can cope. Just as long as we don't touch each other. Never mind touching. I don't want you even looking. Well, I have to look. I end up sucking the wrong cock. And don't you suck mine. I have no intention. Second thought, I didn't think it was too uh, crazy that like two friends would team up on one guy. Because I've done that before where I wasn't exactly into my friend, but... We were definitely down to be into somebody else. Right. That's a thing. Why I said totally that weird. Totally a thing. <laughs> well, I think you were trying to be like, you were trying to have fun with the wordplay. In terms I was trying of to like, sound posh and <laughs> yeah. about a subject that was very you like, We weren't into each other, but we wanted to be in this guy, you know, that kind of thing, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I really did love uh, Alexander and Dane's guest star, though. <laughs> but first of all, um, I have a hard and fast rule that I will not hook up with anyone that has a snake in their bedroom. Only if it's in their pants. 
Uh, yeah, I've been in somebody's bedroom and they had a great big, like deadly looking snake in this gigantic aquarium. And I'm like, I'm out of here. And they're like, where are you going? Oh, it's no. like that fucking snake there. That can eat us. <laughs> it's like, well, how about the living room then? Oh, okay. So we learned that uh, the guest star is probably the uh, creepiest mortician in Manchester. <laughs> you stitch the mouth up, but the eye, the eye opens. The eye on a corpse falls open. The relatives there in the chapel arrest. They want dignity. They don't want eyes open. So you get this contact lens. It's got spikes. Sharp little spikes on the surface. Put in the lens. Slap down the eyelid. Spikes dig in. Sticks it shut. Right. I'll wash me knob. He's Fred West. And this seemed like a good time for Dane to make an escape out the window. <laughs> loved his planned escape, but what I really <laughs> loved was Dane is like slinking his way to the window and he's telling Alexander how to get out. And all the while, Alexander is watching this guy undo his pants and then he sees what the Undertaker's got. And he's like, fuck Dane, I'm fucking this. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. <laughs> oh yeah, he like he grabbed onto the guy's hips fast. That was a great story. I, I really liked the the way this threesome played out, and it was oh yes, it was uh, in the episode for comic relief, but it didn't feel like it was. It was it was just believable. It was it could happen to us, and mm -hmm. I like that. I, I thought that story was great. Uh, the sea story of the night, uh, and this one was one that kind of got to me a little bit, uh, and that's Phil. We see throughout the episode that Vince is kind of being a matchmaker to Phil. We see that uh, he's basically trying to set him up with anyone, first Alexander, then Dane. Uh, and then there's that awkward moment in the bar when Phil was clearly into Vince and Vince didn't really even really seem to notice. So we get this good setup that Phil isn't much of a player. Yeah, he seems to be the least flashy person, neon green shirt notwithstanding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah like he's he he... I don't want to say unimpressive, but he's very unassuming. Mm -hmm. There might not be a whole lot to fill. Like, he, <laughs> I guess he's the most quote unquote normal of the bunch, which could also explain why we don't really see him. We didn't see him a whole lot in the previous two episodes. Like, I think we got him a little bit in the first one. He didn't really show up in the second episode, did he? No, we don't know too much about him. And yeah. that's why I like the setup where we're given enough information to realize that, okay, he's, uh, hasn't really like found anybody and he's kind of into Vince and Vince doesn't really know it. And it was a, it was a nice kind of every man setup for him. Yeah. Absolutely enough information for us to start to care. Yeah, about exactly. Him. Exactly. So Phil uh, flags a cab afterwards and then realizes that somebody else flagged the same taxi. That's a great way to introduce a character. Mm -hmm. It also used to be a great way to meet somebody to share a cab home from a bar though that's just kind of long gone now because everybody wants their own private ride home <laughs> yeah nobody nobody really takes cabs <laughs> anymore there was one time uh, i was sharing a cab with somebody and i actually slowly realized that they were kind of like using me for cab fare and i jumped out of the taxi just as it started to pull away from a traffic light <gasps> <laughs> and left this kind of Incredible. sorry drunk in the in the cab and, and that was uh, that was when you could jump out of a cab because the the doors aren't secured, and there was uh, 
there's just something about this character that Phil got into the cab with that looked a little suspicious. And I'm not sure if I would have jumped into the taxi with that guy. Oh, sorry, was that yours? Don't know. Oh, take it. So you're in Babylon. Where are you going? Whittington. So am I. Go offs. Okay. But like that was also that's that moment that I think also uh, Alexander like jokes about before they're they go into that really seedy building for the threesome, you know that like at, when you're looking for a threesome at this time of night you don't care who it is. <laughs> <laughs> like there is a joke, but here Phil is like, well I've struck out so many times, and here's a guy who said he saw me in Babylon, and I guess he must think I was cute. So let me see where this goes. Let me take a risk. Any port in a storm. Right. So when they get to Phil's flat, there's uh, just about everything about this guy is setting off my like own set of red flags. It's like first his little drug kit, and then he immediately says, uh, "I spent. Can I spend the night?" I'm like, "Oh, ew, I know where this is going. This is like going nowhere good." Though maybe if I was soaked in alcohol, it might have seemed like a good idea at the time. But I didn't get that sense that Phil was at all soaked in alcohol. So. No. It's like, Phil, honey, <laughs> this is going in a bad direction. Yeah, Phil, I mean, maybe Phil just hasn't had enough experiences to acknowledge that this is a tweaker <laughs> or something. <laughs> like, I, Or is he just like, you know what? I've never taken these kinds of risks in my life. I'm going to finally like, just go out and do it and see what happens. Yeah, there it is. Like, That's uh, it. So Phil does a, a line of something from this mysterious stranger uh, and has what seems to be a heart attack. It's all right, mate first time. It's always like this. What was it? It's all right, mate. It's all right. Hey, come here. Hey, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Shit! And I remember the first time I watched this, I was just aghast. I was just so taken aback by that scene. And then we get an interstitial moment at breakfast the next day, followed by like a really sad cut to Phil still on the floor with the sun up, then another scene at a pub, and then Vince's phone rings. And we find out that it was several days ago. It's his mother. Oh, right, yeah. How are you? I thought, is Phil there? It's the phone. He's got numbers programmed into the phone. I thought I'd better start. There's nothing wrong, is there? They phoned me this morning. The police. What's happened? They're saying it was days ago. That cut that happens where Alexander is joking about The Undertaker and then like the laughter over Phil dead on the floor was just rough. Good directing, but like oh. that story really <laughs> hit us hard. Oh yeah, it takes it takes that kind of turn, like it really does, like rip the rug from out from under us. But it, it, the the way it does it is very effective. So the episode ends with Stuart not knowing what Vince has just heard, and he's giving him a big kiss on the cheek, and that's it. That's the episode. What we called like a really fun, kind of freewheeling, humorous episode ends on just such a, a gut punch that I was thinking the show is pretty good. Yeah. Okay, let's talk tops and bottoms for this episode. What was your top, Matt? Uh, <laughs> the humor of it. 
I just mm. thought it really popped off between, you know, the way Nathan describes Romy to uh, the hijinks of the threesome uh, to just, yeah, just overall, I just found this, this episode very funny. Uh, like, and all of the humor felt really earned. There was nothing really forced about it. Uh, it all just landed for me. So my top was uh, killing Phil. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Hate to say it, but having a moment like that early on in a series really ups the drama. The UK series Spooks did the same thing. A character that you warm up to really early is suddenly killed. And I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the the series. And so I, I thought that was a, a, a really good dramatic moment. What was your bottom? I didn't really have one. Uh, <laughs> I was fully prepared to say that the Japanese hooker was going to be the, the bottom of the episode for me, but they even avoided the racist tropes. So I, I got to commend them. I, I was, I didn't really have a bottom in this episode. My bottom was killing Phil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, he was a likable sort of guy and I, I wouldn't have minded seeing his story play out a bit more. And I understand why it's important to kill off a, uh, a character that you like early in the show. But I think if this was going to go like 83 episodes, th this would have been a great character to go on that journey with. Mm -hmm. This has been episode three of season one. It was called A Night Out. Next time on Still Queer's Folks, Stuart and Vince go to Phil's funeral, where they meet up with numerous friends, including Phil's accountant, Cameron Roberts, and come face to face with his mother's grief. That'll be episode four of season one. It's called D-I-S-C-O. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Still Queer's Focus, a production of Slightly Unbalanced. Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight. Still Queer's Folk was made with love in Chicago.